Thank you guys so very much. Very gracious, kind of you, Ken, Cotton, Eden. Thank you all for um, your, your, your gift and, and uh, your, your kind words. And we are very, very blessed to serve here for, for eight years and honored and, and, and so grateful to God for what He is, has done and for what He's doing. But I'm even more excited about the future because the future is as bright as the promises of God. And God loves us, God loves His church. And uh, it, what, what a blessing to be on the winning team. Amen? We're on the winning, winning team. So I am, uh, I'm a little sore this morning. And this, this people over here are laughing, and they know why I'm sore. It's been a long time since I've helped pick up a couch, like a 800-pound couch or whatever that thing was. But, but Leighton and Danielle, we moved them in. Leo, great as our crowns in heaven for what we did yesterday and moving those kids in. And so we're, we're excited about, about uh, Danielle and, and Leighton getting married on Thursday. It's hard to believe Ashley, our youngest, is get, Ashley, you're getting old, baby. I'm telling you, it's, um, that's what's happening. Our youngest is getting, uh, getting married, but no, I'm older than Ashley, so it comes, comes back on, on me. So what a blessing. Uh, I, I'm so excited about preaching this message to you today. It is, um, it's a little intimidating because I'm going to preach a whole sermon on the Apostle John. If you're new to Great Hills Baptist Church, my name is Danny. I've been here for eight years, as you just heard, and the lead pastor. And we are preaching a series throughout 2018 on the life of Christ, the way he went after the one, how he pursued people, men and women, shared with them, loved them, helped them, ministered to them. And in that process of doing that, he gave them eternal life to all of those who would believe on him. So what we're doing really in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we're studying the life of Jesus. That, that really is the preeminent figure. And so as we do that, we notice that he, he comes into contact with a number of people. And the biblical writers are so faithful to write down their names and the circumstances of the events and how they met. And so what we're doing at Great Hills is we're isolating, looking into those dialogues, those encounters, and we're looking at it from a macro level, from a 30,000-foot view. We're looking at the way Jesus Christ interacts with and loves people and pursues people. In fact, this whole for the one motif, we get this from him. In Luke 15, 4, he says, what shepherd among us? He has a hundred sheep, and one of those little sheep wanders off away out into the mountainside that good shepherd, here's what he will do. He will leave the 99 and he will go on a journey and he will find that lost sheep. And when he finds him or finds her, he rejoices and brings the sheep back into the fold and everybody uh, rejoices. So what Jesus is doing is he's given us this lesson verbally and now he's living it out. He's actuating the very teaching from his lips by saying, okay, watch me. I will demonstrate for you how you leave the 99 and how you go and you find the people who are in the world that the Father is leading you to and you minister to them and you love them and you bring them back into relationship with God. And so that's what we're doing at Great Hills for the whole 2018. We're looking at the one. And last week we gave you some cards and we want to encourage you every week, pick up a couple of, of business cards that you can go and invite your friends and your colleagues and your neighbors and your family. And I continue to hear these amazing stories, just like Jesus, when we go and we make ourselves available, how God uses us powerfully in people's lives. And you know, when God does that, we have to give him all the praise because all the glory goes to him. So Dave Brand, I didn't ask for permission, so I'm going to 
I guess ask for forgiveness if it's okay to share this story. I did get this amazing text. Dave usually sits over here. Dave, are you here today? God bless you. 86 years young, yes? Okay. Former military, a pilot, loved Dave Brent. He shares a text with me this past week and says, well, I fell down and busted my head and drove myself to the emergency room. Now, He's holding his, his head like this, and he's driving, you know, to the emergency room or, or to the doctor, and he gets there to the doctor, and the lady doctor is suturing him up and sewing his, his stitches, 16, I believe he said. And as she is sewing, he is speaking. And if you know Dave Brandt, you know what he's speaking about. He's complaining. He's fussing at the world. He's all angry. How could God let me fall? I'm a military veteran. I love God. I love the church. And he's all grumpy and angry. Nope, that's not him. What he's doing is he's telling her about Jesus. And he shares the gospel with the doctor, and the doctor prays to receive Christ <laughs> as she is sewing him up. So that's a, that's a beautiful, beautiful story. Thank you, Dave. So that is an awesome, awesome story. And so we are so blessed. I am so blessed to hear multiple stories like this. So for the one, his name is John. His name literally means God is gracious. And as we study the life of John today, obviously the man wrote 50 chapters in the New Testament. And there's no way that we can touch on everything about John, but we can say this. We can say a number of things about him. He is the disciple, is referred to as the disciple that Jesus what? Anybody? That Jesus loved. Right. His name's never mentioned in his gospel, not even in John chapter 1, where it's all about him and Andrew. He never mentions his name, so he's humble. But the thing I want you to think about when you think about John is John is a mystic. John is a thinker. John is a theologian. John has a very gifted mind. I know he's a, a, a by trade, he is a fisherman. You think, well, fishermen, how smart are they? Well, they're plenty smart. Uh, James and, and John and Peter and Andrew, they have a fishing coalition. They have a, a business. I think it's a thriving, burgeoning business, and God calls them out of that business into his business. And one of the key pillars in all of Christendom, past, present, and future, is this man, the beloved uh, John. What a great uh, man that he was. I said he was a thinker. He was a brilliant individual. He reminds me of one of my favorite professors in, in seminary. His name was James Leo Garrett. We called him Machine Gun Garrett. Does anybody want to guess why we would call him that? Because, man, he talks fast. I, I mean, you think I talk fast. I mean, he just, he lectured, and a lot of times he would read his lectures, and I was sitting in his class for a whole year taking systematic theology. It's the hardest class that you can take in seminary, and I took James Leo Garrett, bachelor's degree from Baylor, master's degree from Princeton, PhD from Harvard. Woo, he was educated, and man, was he hard. The thing I remember most about James Leo Garrett, and by the way, he's in his 90s today, still going strong, still writing, still using his great mind for the glory of God. But here's what I remember about James Garrett, Dr. Garrett. I went to a Luis Palau evangelistic rally a number of years ago in Fort Worth, and at the convention center there in Fort Worth, I was standing up in the balcony, and, and during the invitation, kind of like Billy Graham or Greg Laurie and Luis Palau, when, when they preach and they invite people to come to Christ, it's a beautiful thing. It's a miraculous thing. And that gift of the evangelist is manifested in their life, and people just come. And as I'm watching people come forward, I can still remember James 
Leo Garrett, where he was and what he was doing, he was standing literally right here. He was standing here in the Colosseum, in the convention hall, and I am seated way up over there. And of all the people coming forward, and, and the altar is full of people, and it's full of, of biblical counselors, there's James Leo Garrett with his pen and with his paper, and he's saying, welcome, coming to Christ, and he is counseling and leading people to Jesus. I have that mental image in my mind, this great mind, this great thinker, this mystic, this seer, this theologian, this prodigious intellect, and yet he has a tender heart for God and for people. That reminds me of John. John had no real formal theological education as far as erudition and, and scholarship and master's degrees and PhDs, but he had something far greater than that. He had Jesus Christ as his instructor. How about that? He had Jesus Christ as his tutor. And so he was under the tutelage of the God of all creation. And Jesus Christ comes and he takes these 12 men, one of whom will betray him, and he pours his life into those 12 so that when he is done here on earth, he can take the ministry of three and a half years and he can hand it off to men like Peter and James and John and Bartholomew. And those 12 would turn the world upside down. It'd be great to be remembered this way. In Acts chapter 4, it says, Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, and they perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men. Remember, they're not men of letter, men, men of scholarship, academia. But the people marveled because they realized that those men, they, Peter and John, had been with Jesus. Isn't that a beautiful way to be remembered? That when people look at our lives and they say, well, you may not be the most scholarly, you may not be the most erudite or academic, but you know what? You have something that is so attractive and so winsome. It is something that I so deeply desire. You seem to have a relationship with the God of the universe, and we do. And that is what's winsome, and that is what's beautiful and attractive. And Jesus Christ instilled his life and his call and his ministry into this man, John, and there we see John. You remember, of all those apostles, he's the only one that would not die a violent martyr's death. John would be exiled on the island of Patmos. But you know what? That was after 30 years, Pastor Ochester, 30 years of faithfully preaching the Word of God in a city called Ephesus. John was a pastor. After Jesus Christ died and arose from the dead, John pastored this church in Ephesus for many years. But then he was captured by the Roman authorities. He was seized as an elderly man, and he was taken to Patmos. And I've been to Patmos, and it is a beautiful island in the Aegean Sea. And I'm hoping to go back to Patmos in two years as we retrace some of these major Christian um, markers in the New Testament. And John, you say, well, what's so bad about being exiled on a, you know, on a, on an island in the middle of the sea. Man, that sounds like a vacation, but it was a Roman penal colony, meaning that if you were exiled to Patmos, you were there with the murderers and the rapists. You were there with the dregs of society. The worst that society had, Rome would take them and exile them to Patmos, and on Patmos, they would, there was a rock quarry island, and they would work from sunup to sundown, I mean, just basically enslaved by the Roman authorities, and there was John. And I've actually seen the cave where many people believe where John was when Jesus Christ appeared to him and gave him the apocalypse and he wrote 
all 22 chapters in the book of Revelation. He also wrote 21 chapters, the Gospel of John. And he also wrote seven chapters of 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. So here's what we're going to do today, and it's a daunting task, and that's just my introduction, but we're going to go a little bit quicker. We're going to look at four key passages of Scripture that describe the life of John, I think. And then we're going to look at three just characteristics of his life that I think that we can glean from our own life. Okay, are y'all up for this? Say amen. Okay, are y'all awake? You okay? All right, good, good. Okay, let's, let's do this. So let's, let's start with the, with the first. I think you have your outlines. Do you have your little outlines there? Let's see where we are with this. There should be four verses. Yeah, there we go. All right, so let's look at these encounters in the New Testament that Jesus had with, with John. All right, you ready? Let's go to the first one. All right, there it is. It's Matthew. Matthew chapter, uh, excuse me, Mark chapter 9, be 38 through uh, 41. Is that what you guys are showing up there? Uh, Mark, let's go to Mark chapter 9, 38 through 41. That doesn't look like Mark chapter 9. Your good, good father. Hold on just a second. It's always good, preacher, to bring your Bible, right? All right, Mark chapter 9, we'll look at verses 38 through 41, if you're, if you're with me, all right? All right, here it is. It says, Now John answered him, saying, Teacher, we saw someone who does not follow us casting out demons in your name, and we forbade him because he does not follow us. Now remember, this is John speaking to Jesus, saying, We saw somebody casting out demons in your name, and we prevented him from doing it because he does not follow us. But Jesus said to him, Do not forbid him, for no one works a miracle in my name who can soon afterwards speak evil of me. For he who is not against us is on our side. For whoever gives him a cup of water to drink in my name because you belong to Christ, assuredly I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. And so I choose this passage of Scripture because I want to show you something. With John, he has, um, he's not perfect. He has some rough edges that the, that the Lord Jesus is going to kind of chisel those rough edges and create this beautiful diamond in the rough. He sees these people who are casting out demons and they don't belong to the inner circle and so John says I just think they ought to be rebuked because we don't know them and Jesus says no John you should be rebuked because the person who's not against me is for me and so I shared this scripture with you I'm going to share some others with you that teach us that John when we look at John we think man there's this mighty apostle there's this sanctified holy theologian man I, I want to be like him but watch this in order for him to get to where he was Jesus had to take him first as he was, okay? That's the same way with us. We all want to be mighty women and mighty men of God, and we want to accomplish wonderful things for the Lord, but in order to do that, we must first matriculate and enroll ourselves in the school of Christ, and he takes us right where we are. Remember, James and John are known as the sons of what? The thunder. Now, how do you get that accolade? Why, why are you called thunder? Why do you say... Well, I don't really know why, because he had a temper. Him and James, I mean, they'd get hot under the collar, and then they would speak it out. You, all of us think, well, Peter's the only one that, you know, just, just had to have help from God. No, all of us need help from God. Even the thinkers, even the intellectual and the bright people, if you will. The, I mean, John, he, he had a bit of a temper. Luke chapter 9, do we have these? I think we just have them listed out, so I'm sorry we didn't put these on the PowerPoint. Luke chapter 9. 
I'm so glad I brought my contact lens today. This is wonderful. I can read. I can see it. Oh, here it is. Here it is. Luke chapter 9, 51. It says, Now it came to pass, when the time had come for him, Jesus, to be received up, that he said fastly, set his face, set his face to go to Jerusalem. This is Luke 9, 51, 52. And he sent messengers before his face, and as they went, they entered a village of the Samaritans to prepare for him, but they did not receive him because his face was set for a journey to Jerusalem. Now, when his disciples, James and anybody, are you with, you're with John, when they saw this, they said, Lord, do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them? Just like Elijah did. A bunch of reprobate Samaritans. I'll I tell you what, Jesus, just, just give me the word. We'll just ask the Father to send down lightning bolts and just zap these heathen Samaritans. What do you think about that, Jesus? <laughs> Jesus turned and rebuked John. How about that? He rebuked James and John, and he said, You do not know what manner of spirit you are. Ouch! And I imagine John and James are going, oh, we thought we were just doing a good thing here, but we actually are doing a bad thing, and Jesus calls them on the carpet for it. And Jesus says, for the Son of Man did not come to destroy men's lives, but to save their lives. And so that's why they're called the sons of thunder, because they have a little bit of a temper to them, and yet Jesus takes them right where they are, and, he, and just like the good sculptor, and just like the good Potter, he's going to mold them and shape them to be the man and men of God he wants them to be. Two more verses I want you to look at. Mark chapter 10, 35 through 45. Mark 10, 35 through 45. And this is another episode of the life of Jesus with John and the disciples. Mark 10, 35 through 45. All right, he says, Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him, saying, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. And Jesus said to them, well, what do you want me to do for you? And James and John said, grant us that we may sit one on your right hand and the other on your left in your glory. But Jesus said to them, you do not know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink? And are you able to be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? In other words, Jesus is asking them, are you willing and able to die? Are you willing and able to suffer for my name? to drink of the dregs of the baptism of martyrdom, even as I will. And they will respond and say, we are able. And Jesus said to them, yes, you will indeed drink the cup that I drink. And with the baptism I am baptized with, you will be baptized. But to sit on my right hand and to sit on my left is not mine to give, but it is for those for whom it is prepared. And so this is kind of an interesting story here because James and John, on the one hand... I think it expresses tremendous faith because they see Jesus for who he is. And they're like, Jesus, we know you are the Son of God, and we know there's coming a day. You're going to subjugate all your enemies under your feet, and you're going to reign for eternity. And wow, why are you doing that? Hey, hey, I want to sit on your right hand, and let's let brother here sit on your left hand. Does that sound cool to you, Jesus? And I'm thinking, wow. And the other disciples, it says, verse 41, they're like, oh, Bunch of nitwits. Why are they doing that? Why, why are they asking for that pristine honor? And then Jesus, he, he gently rebukes them and says, yeah, thank you for asking, but that's really not mine to, to grant. So they're ambitious, but I also see that there's a lot of belief and trust in the disciples here. Okay, let me give you one more. It shares just an excerpt out of the life of, 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 G, uh, of John and Jesus. And it's at the end of his life in John 19, 
26 and 27. Oh, there it is. It has appeared. Ta-da! There it is on the screen. Can y'all see it on the screen? Or is it just me? Oh, there it is. 26 and 27, John 19. This is the last excerpt from the life of John. And then we're going to look at some practical application for us. Okay. Now, when Jesus, therefore, saw his mother, her name was what? Anybody? Mary. By the way, John's mother's name was Salome. And Salome was the sister of Mary, which makes Jesus and John what? First cousins. Interesting, isn't it? So when Jesus, therefore, saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved. Now, this is in John's gospel, so John will not call his own name. Okay, In in John chapter 1, he is walking along with Andrew and Jesus says, Come. And follow me. And, and they did. They came and they followed him. And then in Matthew chapter 4, Jesus publicly calls them out of their fishing enterprise into the ministry, the vocation of ministry. And he gladly does this. And so Jesus is pouring his life into John. And then when Jesus is dying on a cross for the sins of John, the sins of me, the sins of the world, he looks and he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son, John. Then he said to the disciple, John, behold your mother. And from that hour, that disciple took her, Mary, to his own home. That's pretty amazing, isn't it? That Jesus Christ would entrust the care of his mother, Mary, the very lady that gave birth to him, would entrust it to no other disciple but this disciple, John. Okay, that tells me some things, guys. That tells me, number one, he's very trustworthy, right? It tells me, number two, that... He has a good head on his shoulders that he thinks, yes, his, his mind is in the heavenlies with all. You think about the prologue, John 1, 1 through 14. It just doesn't get any deeper or richer than that. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. That's amazing doctrine, theology. And yet that same John, he wasn't so heavenly minded that he wasn't any earthly good. And so he would, Jesus would entrust the very care of his mother to this man, John, that he deeply loves. It's his cousin, but more than that, John is a dedicated follower of Jesus, and Jesus trusts John with some of the most important things in his life. Wow. Okay, now this is what I'd like to do. I want to just walk through just some points of application for you, and then we will, we will wrap it up, all right? Ready? Three, three things. First of all, even the greatest of Jesus' disciples... They have to grow in grace. You know, I said this about Peter, but I wanted to say this also about John. Jesus saved John in a moment. He was saved, but it took a lifetime of sanctification, of purifying, of chiseling off the rough edges of John so that he becomes this diamond that, that Jesus raises up. I mean, watch this. He raises John up so that John is a pillar. He is a foundation stone in the church of Jesus Christ. But I'm telling you guys, nobody gets sanctified in a moment. It takes all of us a lifetime. We never arrive. I mean, if you think you have arrived and you are God's gift to the kingdom of God, you need to go all the way back to the beginning because we're saved in a moment, but we are sanctified for an, I mean, for a lifetime. Let me, let me give you a little pop test this morning. Let me give you a little quiz. I'm going to read a statement that I want you to see if you can guess who said this statement. A very famous 
person in American history. I am not or ever have been in favor of bringing about in any way the social and political equality of the white and the black races. Okay? I am not or ever have been in favor of making voters or jurors of Negroes, nor of qualifying them to hold office. Anybody want to take a guess at who said that? Abraham Lincoln said that. He said that in 1858. Now, wasn't he the same person? Uh, the emancipation of proclamation? Yes, he was. But my point in bringing him up is that Abraham Lincoln was not perfect, lest you think he was. And we know he wasn't. You know why? Because there's only one perfect person, and that is Jesus Christ. And so even the greatest of presidents still need to grow. Even the greatest of the saints of God, need, even the greatest of the theologians need to learn more and to mature more. So I say this to you as a way to encourage you. Because some of you think, man, you know, I, I should be a lot further than I am in my walk with God. But I want to say, don't beat yourself up. Just to continue to let God mold you and shape you to be the woman of God He wants you to be, to be the student of God He wants you to be. Even the finest of God's saints, even the finest of God's people still have room to grow. Is that not right? It is right. All of us do. Okay, number two, number two. Jesus calls men from their profession to his profession. Jesus calls men from their avocation, their profession to his. Now, in John chapter 1, Jesus saves John the Beloved. But in Matthew chapter 4, he walks along the shores of Galilee and he says, John, I want you to leave your fishing enterprise and I myself will make you to become a fisher of men. And that's precisely what John did. And by the way, Jesus Christ is still doing that today. He still comes to people in their vocation. And he takes those natural proclivities and tendencies and abilities and gifts. And he will use them for the furtherance of his kingdom in what we would call vocational ministry. Uh, G. Campbell Morgan, he, he wrote a book called The Great Physician. And... And I do, I highly, highly recommend it. It's, it's, a, it's an older book because G. Campbell Morgan, he, he talks about this event in his life that happened in 1886. He went on to become a pastor of the Westminster Chapel in London, England, all right? So he said, as I was teaching my boys, that's what he called it. He was a school, a school teacher. He said, I was teaching my students. I was loving my life. I was doing exactly what God had called me to do. I'm loving my family. I'm loving my vocation. And all of a sudden, Jesus came to my desk and he said, follow me and I will make you a teacher of men. And G. Campbell Morgan says, I laid down my pen. I laid down my paper. I laid down my degrees and I took up my cross and I followed Jesus to be a pastor. You say, well, God's still not doing that to people today, is he? But he is. Every single Christian, if you're a follower of Jesus today and you're listening to me share this message with you, if you know the Lord, can I just go ahead and let you in on a little secret? You are called into the ministry. <laughs> you are to take your gifts, your natural abilities, those propensities, those desires that God has given you, and you are to use those gifts and abilities for the kingdom of God as you work in your vocation. Not everybody is called to vocational ministry, but every single Christian is called to serve the Lord in his local church. 
Some of you have the gift of teaching. Man, you need to be teaching. You need to be leading a small group in your home, or you need to be teaching one of our Connect Group classes. Some of you can lead other people in worship. You need to be helping us in our worship team. Some of you have the gift for technology. By the way, I do not. I'm so appreciative of it. I'm grateful for it. But those of you that do have that, you need to be behind one of these cameras. You need to be there. There's a whole suite over here. I mean, there's a state-of-the-art media suite that's right behind these walls over here. And there are people there. There's technology. There's big screens. There's computers. I have no idea how that works. But you know what? Some of you do. Some of you are going, ooh. Where is that? Show, show me where that is. I love that kind of stuff. Listen, if you love that kind of stuff, God's given you the love for that kind of stuff, and you need to be helping us with that kind of stuff. You say, well, I'm not called to be a preacher. Well, whoop-de-doo, God's called you to do something else. He's called you to go back there and to serve and to minister, to use those gifts and those abilities. Well, some of you can work with your hands. And I can't, but you can, and you, you, you know how to, to build things, and you know how to create things. And I just heard a couple of weeks ago, there are a couple of men in our church who, uh, Bud Bruner, bless Bud Bruner. Bud, Bud, you can never go to heaven. you got to stay here on earth with us, all right? you got to keep building things. you got to keep helping us here because we absolutely need you. You just turned 80 years young uh, not long ago, and Bud... And Randy Robbins heard that 92-year-old O.C. Puckett needed an air conditioner. He lives in Austin, Texas. His house is heated. So Bud, bless his soul, and Randy, bless his soul, they go over to O.C. Puckett's house, and they take out the old units. They put in the new units. And O.C. Puckett now, 92 years of age, has an air-conditioned home. To that I say, glory to God. That's what God's equipped you to do. That's what you need to do. We, we all have these gifts and these abilities, and if they're not being used in the local church for the body of Christ, then you're just not living the life that God intended for you to live. I mean, God has you here, and God wants you serving. Some of you love to greet people. Some of you, man, you just had never met a stranger. You want to shake their hand, and you want to encourage them. We got a place for you. It's called the First Impressions Team. And we're continuing to need people to come. So I could go on and on with gifts and abilities, and that's all good. And yet there are those that God says, I, I need you for a special project. And I need you to lead the church of God. I need you to serve in a ministry vocation. And God still does that. And we all as pastors need to do a better job of calling out the called. Because God is calling some of you to that. And I need to come alongside the Spirit of God and just encourage you and bless you and say, as God's called you, God wants to equip you. And I believe the call to ministry is the call to prepare for that ministry. Last thing I want to share with you is this. To finish the Christian life well is the greatest service rendered to Jesus Christ. To finish the Christian life well is the greatest service. Anybody can start well. It's uh, relatively easy to begin well. I don't know, just the older I get, the more I see my friends just falling away. Men that I have placed on a pedestal, you say, well, that's what you get for putting people on a pedestal. I get that. I get that. And they have fallen um, and they have destroyed their families. They've destroyed their ministries. And they're close friends of mine. And I'm watching them going, Lord, this is difficult. This is, this is very, very painful. 
And so I, I take a step back, first of all, and I say, but for the grace of God, there go I. Guys, y'all listening? Father's Day? All of us are a, are a second away from stupid. Okay? We're just a second away from stupid, and we do something. It usually begins when we look at something we shouldn't be looking at. Okay? You say, well, you've quit preaching and you've gone to meddling. Well, meddling, I will. <laughs> Because I, I want to help you, before you destroy your marriage and your life, let me, let me help you get your eyes off of that box of nudity and pornography. Okay, get, get your mind off of that. Get your mind on Jesus and on the Word of God and the things of God because you are, I mean, these are good, godly men. PhDs, instructors in our seminaries, gifted pastors, and just recently... I mean, I literally felt like somebody punched me in the stomach, was nauseated, had to leave the room that I was in because I thought I was going to throw up once I heard that news, okay? So anybody can start well, but let's, Pastor Chester, thank you. Thank you for continuing on and, and finishing and finishing well. And, and guys, I use these illustrations for a reason. I mentioned Bud Brenner. He's 80. I mentioned Dave Brandt. He's um, 86. Pastor Chester is like 60, I think, or something like that. <laughs> 90 years young. And I, Randy Robbins, I mean, you know, I, I don't know how old Randy is, but I, but I know he's older than I am. And I'm looking to these guys going, y'all are finishing well. Praise God. Thank you. Keep finishing well. Keep walking with Jesus. I want to tell you something. I'm watching you. I need examples. All of us need examples of godly men and women who do not fall down at the idols of pleasure and adultery and fornication and just rip everything apart. Man, we need, we need godly men, godly women who will lead, lead forward and we can watch you. Because we need you. We want you to finish well because we're coming in behind you. And John finished. He finished. I mean, he was a pastor for 30 years, and for what reward did he get from that? A nice retirement, amen. No, he got put in prison. And as he's in prison, not embittered, not angry at Jesus, he takes up his pen, and Jesus says, John, you want to see something? Come, let me show you something. And then he writes 22 chapters of the apocalypse at the age of 95. Anybody in here 95 or above? You bunch of young spring chickens, all right. And that means there's lots of work for us to do. Can we hold each other accountable and say, let's, let's finish well. Let's finish well. You say, well, brother, I'm, I'm not perfect. No, I'm not either. But there are some egregious, stupid things that you and I can do and it'll cost us everything. So let's don't do that. Let's be like old John. On the island of Patmos, still being used of God, still being faithful to God. And then when he closes his eyes and he opens them up in the presence and he hears these words, and we all want to hear them, don't we? Well done, my good and faithful servant. The first step, it, it always begins with a, with a first step, overcoming an addiction on the road to getting married, taking a new job, joining a new church. Everything begins with a step. Put one foot in front of the other. I like that song. 
And soon, you'll be walking out the door. All right, so you just put one foot in front of the other. But you know what? You have to make that step. You say, I believe in the sovereignty of God, and God will take care of all that. No, I believe in the sovereignty of God, too, and he gave you a brain, okay? And that brain says, i gotta, I got to step toward God. And when you step toward God by the power of the Holy Spirit, for some of you, your first step is to follow Jesus. Become a Christian. Become a follower of him. You say, well, how do I do that? How do I, how do I get what you've got? How do I get what John had? How do I get this peace and that, this ability that I don't have? And the way you do that is you receive Christ as your Savior. You repent, turn away from your sins, and you embrace Jesus Christ, okay? And I want to encourage you to do that. Many of you need to do that today, listening online, sitting right here in this place, wherever you are, whoever you are, take that first step toward God. Some of you have already taken that step. Your next step is to follow Jesus and believers' baptism, to identify with the people of God, to identify with your king, to say, I am not ashamed of him, and I am not ashamed of his people. And by the way, if you are a Christian and you have not gone public and been baptized, you are out of the will of God. I don't care who you are. You say, excuse me? I'm out of the will of God just because I won't go jump in water and let somebody dunk me? That's exactly what I said. Because Jesus at the age of 30 was baptized. And Jesus has given us an example. And I didn't create this, guys. Don't get mad at me. I didn't write the book. I didn't write the rules. I'm just trying to follow him. And Jesus said, if Jesus said, if you want to follow me, go swallow a goldfish. Then we're going to go swallow a goldfish. That's, hey, that's not what he asked us to do. But he did say, go and get baptized. And by getting baptized, you're saying, I'm not ashamed of him. I believe. He died. He arose. And I am his follower. If you won't do that, what else will you not do? Next step for some of you is come on in the family. Come on in this church. We just finished up today a new members class. God brought new people to us. I think every person who started finished and is joining our church. That's really cool. So next month, we'll start over again, 1st of July, and then we'll have a new members class. Come on in there. Let that be your first step. Last thing I want to say is this. The next step for some of you is a big one. And if God is calling you, you need to do it. You need to surrender. You need to let our staff and me, let us help you in this. I'll probably try to talk you out of it, because if I can talk you out of it, then you're probably not really called to do it. But if God is calling you men and you women to serve him vocationally in the gospel ministry, I'm just grateful for Great Hills Baptist Church, because this is a church of nurturing, this is a church of discipleship, and this is a church that will help you take those steps to see you do what God has called you to do. Okay. You say, you're just excited up there. I am. You don't know why I'm so excited. It was your eighth year anniversary. You survived. You made it. Bless your soul. No? Well, I'll tell you what I'm excited about. Because whenever we have an invitation, God always does something. And I believe God's about to do something in your life. And so let's pray and let's, let's just ask the Holy Spirit what he would have us to do. Father, we thank you in the name of Jesus and in the power of your spirit. We are asking you, God, what is it you want from us? You've done everything. And all you ask of us is faith 
and obedience and to take a step toward you. And Lord, we want to do that right now. For some, Lord, the first step would be the most momentous, important step of their life when they repent and they believe in you for eternal life. God, thank you. And if you're here today, friend, listen, please, 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 as your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed, would you receive the Lord? Listen, John, the beloved, all of his great accomplishments for the glory of God, it all began in John chapter 1 when Jesus says, Come to me, John, and he did. He did. He accepted the Messiah. He believed in the Son of God. And as you do that, as you accept Jesus, what you're doing is you're walking away from your life and your pleasure and what you think life is all about, and you're surrendering yourself to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And I could not be more excited for you. And I invite you to do that. And we invite you and we want to help you, want to encourage others of you today. What is your decision? This altar is open We would love, love to pray for you, to encourage you. And some of you are facing some momentous decisions in your life. Uh, Some of you have got some some financial issues you're dealing with. Some of you, your marriages aren't really lined up where God wants them to be. What what is it? Health? What is it? Would you humble yourself and would you come and let's pray. Let's do business with God this morning here at Great Hills. Father, thank you for this invitation. It's a sacred time. It's your time. We pray that you would have your way and your will. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. God bless you as you stand. Come on, let us pray with you. Let us encourage you. We got men. We got women. We got called men and women of God up here. We'd love to pray with you. Love to encourage you even now as you come.